This edition of CES Tech Talk is brought to you by Deloitte. Hey, Tech Talk listeners, it's Hanish Patel from Deloitte's User Friendly, the podcast where my guests and I explore the latest trends in tech, media, and telecom and turn them into something a little more user friendly. We just launched season four and have some exciting topics coming up from connectivity trends to sports through to digital reality. If you enjoy CES Tech Talks, I highly recommend checking us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Till then, happy listening. Hey, everybody. With the Consumer Technology Association, I'm Tyler Suters. We are the owners and producers of CES, the world's largest, the world's most influential tech event. And we are joining you from CES 2020 in Las Vegas. We are on the show floor today talking to the media members who cover CES, some of whom have been here for years upon years, covering the latest trends, emerging technologies, and divining some of our technology future based on what they see here at CES. Today, a broad conversation with these journalists about all things here on the show floor at CES 2020, from 5G connectivity to AI applications, robotics to smart cities. We'll cover everything, or at least as much as we can get in in one podcast, all on this special edition of CES Tech Talk from the CES 2020 show floor. Good afternoon, everyone. We are live at CES 2020. It is day one here in Las Vegas. I am joined here with some esteemed media colleagues. We're actually recording here for the CES Tech Talk podcast presented today by Deloitte. I'm going to have my colleagues here introduce themselves. Hi, everybody. I'm Dave Kender. I'm the editor-in-chief of Reviewed, part of the USA Today Network. I'm Jason Heiner. I'm editorial director of CNET. Uh, I run the advice team, so that's all of our reviews. Um, four big areas, uh, TVs or home entertainment, smart home, uh, PCs, laptops, uh, and mobile. Good morning. Uh, I'm Nick Moke. I'm the managing editor of Digital Trends. Uh, and I'm a little under the weather today, so you'll have to excuse me if I pack up a lung while I'm up here. I'll do my best to, sorry, Jason. <laughs> yeah, everybody, we'll separate the chairs. <laughs> So I know it's only day one, first afternoon, but I want to hear from everyone. Please describe for me what was the best thing that you've seen so far. Let's start uh, with Nick. Sure. Uh, I'm actually going to have to go with the Hyundai SA1, the flying taxi. I don't care how far off it is. I don't care how far flung it is. It's awesome to see that stuff at CES. <laughs> um, I attended the press conference yesterday, and they had like the the Barbie-sized toy model of it for the press conference. And then, of course, coming to the show floor today, I beelined for the full-size one at the booth, uh, and it did not fail to impress. I know Bell had something similar last year. I'm, I think they have something, uh, another model this year as well, which I have not seen. But in the meantime, I'm going to the Hyundai. You know, the 292-inch the uh, Samsung TV has drawn all the headlines, of course, but the what, what kind of got lost in the shuffle is they also unveiled an 8K TV that's completely bezel-less, uh, and I saw that thing up close um, a couple months ago under embargo, and it's ruined me on every other TV <laughs> since. I, it, it's like, I, I, you know, you see that and it's so visually impressive. It looks beautiful. It has these ambient modes that have artwork and all of these things. And uh, 
it's incredible. It's just incredible to see the leap forward. All right, Dave. If I was going to go with just the coolest gadget that I've seen and the one that I think people are actually might buy, it's the Lenovo folding laptop, which I thought was very cool and it was clever the way they figured out how to, um, what to do with the keyboard and they really were working through some of the practical stuff. But on a bigger level, looking at how AI, the conversation of where AI is and how it's actually impacting products very widely now, it's really hard to write about because it's kind of boring. <laughs> no offense to anyone who works in the AI industry. Nothing at CES <laughs> is boring, just for the record. But it is, um, it's, it's actually helping people live with their products and use their products, and I, I think that's the most important thing. So we're in 2020 now, start of a new decade. As you've gone around the show floor, is there anything that's called out to you all that, okay, this is what tech is going to be all about in this new decade? Start with you, Jason. Yeah, so this is sort of a really buzzy kind of term, but what we're sort of calling ambient computing. You know, 20 years ago, when you dealt with technology in the online world, you sat down at a monitor and a keyboard and a mouse, and you purposefully went somewhere to do something. And then 10 years ago, most of that ended up fitting in our pockets in the smartphone. And now today, a lot of it is um, dispersing to different parts of our life and anticipating our needs and those kinds of things. So smart speakers are the most obvious ones, but we're seeing it in other places. There are different um, there are, uh, interfaces. There are interfaces that are based on uh, things that uh, can make any surface in your home or your vehicle um, touch sensitive. Uh, there are things so that, you know, if you're, say you're, in the kitchen and you're working and you're wanting to know um, how to, you know, how many cups is, or how many tablespoons is in a cup, right? You, there may be interfaces right there built into your counter that can surface that information. All those kinds of things, and there's a number of vendors here that are showing off some of those things that are often in small booths and they're sort of research companies or just barely out of stealth. Um, but there are things that are real and they're farther along than you think. There's one that I saw last night that essentially may, means that the, the buttonless phone is a lot closer than we thought because it can take any surface on your phone, the back, the sides, and make them touch sensitive. Wow. Uh, and yeah, pretty amazing stuff. Kind of along the same lines of, uh, sorry, I jumped the queue. Um, along the same lines of, amp, what's the word you used? Ambient? Ambient computing. Ambient computing. It's very, I like that. Um, predictive technologies. Like, I, I'm, an, I'm a big appliance nerd. Um, I'm, a bit, I'm a big appliance nerd. And, and LG has a washing machine that's using AI, and it has sensors inside that are able to analyze the, the weight and the volume, but also the fabric type. And, it's, and so it's, it's figuring out what wash cycle should you use, how much water should you use, but you're also filling a big container full of detergent. So uh, people using too much detergent, is, it's a huge problem. People never know how much to use and it creates allergies and it's a whole big issue. So it's auto dispensing exactly the right thing. Forget giving people a million options, give people no options and let the computer figure out what to do because we're finally at the point where, because the computer, is constantly pinging back to the network and getting smarter collectively across LG's global footprint that it's going to do a better job at cleaning your socks than you ever will. So just let the robots do the job. So helps me make fewer decisions throughout my day. I think I like that. Fewer, better decisions. <laughs> Figure out what you want for lunch, not how to do your laundry. How about you, Nick? 
Sure. I've been spending a lot of time at the North Hall looking at automotive stuff this year. And I think if we're thinking big picture, it's the fact, and this, this is something that's been coming for a couple years now, but all of the automotive companies now are not car companies. No one wants to be called a car company. They're all smart mobility or mobility or e-mobility or some permutation of mobility because all of the car companies are thinking so much further outside of personal car ownership and I need to sell you a car that's no longer the paradigm for transportation, I think, 2020 moving forward, those companies are starting to look at building infrastructure and building ways to move around a city that maybe don't involve you owning a car. Maybe you rent one. Um, I mentioned the Hyundai thing, which again, it's kind of car far flung. We have flying taxis. They're partnering with Uber 2023. Who knows? But the broader initiative that that's part of is kind of this whole system of pods that roll around a city. They connect at hubs. Um, they can, you know, they're modular. They can serve as a restaurant or a medical clinic. Um, again, it's, it's very ambitious, and I don't know that we'll actually see that in the immediate future, but I love that companies are thinking that way and thinking outside of sort of having to sell personal electronics. They're building these larger systems that I think, in the end, will be healthier for, for cities uh, as we grow. So we've talked a little bit about what's the coolest thing. We've talked about sort of big picture trends. What's the most useful thing you think you've seen so far? Dave, let's start with you, if you're ready. The most useful thing, jeez, I might have to toss this potato. The robot, Charmin's robot. <laughs> if, if, all right, all I right. I feel like this I is like leading it. to a personal story <laughs> where you got stuck somewhere. Well, I mean, it's a personal story for anyone that has kids and don't replace the, you know, toilet paper. Uh, the robot has uh, basically uses Bluetooth to find you when you're you know, in the restroom and there's no toilet paper and it comes and delivers you a roll. Nick. I can't, I can't beat that possibly. <laughs> um, I guess if, if I'm thinking is most, most useful is a, a long shot. I need more time to find the most useful thing, but I'll say the thing that I'm most personally interested in is actually kind of dull, which is uh, a company called Wallbox is building a bi-directional car charger, EV charger. Um, which can use your EV to power, power your house in the event of a power outage or any sort of disruption emergency. Um, it's $4,000 right now, which granted, I, I think I would probably just buy a generator at this point, but I love the idea of it. And if you scale that up to a bunch of people having those and potentially being able to you know, power the neighborhood with a network of cars, it's a, it's a very cool idea. And if I had to take anything from home from CES, I would take that. Okay, I like it. I, I'm going to go back to TVs because I think I've okay. mentioned that every year that I've been here. I do. I, I love TVs and we're looking at the, the, that amazing LG display out there. And the fact that you can get an absolutely stunning TV for like $1,500. Um, like I, the flagships are fine across all the different companies, but I love like the, the entry-level OLED from the C9 or the, the CX, I think they're calling it this year. The you don't have to go to, a, I, I'm not a fan of going to the movie theater anymore. It's just too much noise and everything. So if I can experience that in my own home and enjoy it with just my wife and my kid and have a beautiful cinematic experience, that's very useful to me. So staying on the home entertainment um, line, you know, what's next? What do you think is, is the next thing in home enter entertainment that we'll, we'll be seeing? I would have to guess that AI is going to continue to push further into entertainment where it's going to be more predictive about the the types of shows that you want to watch. Um, I mean, the Roku streaming platform, it feels like it's 
it, it's ready for an upgrade into some next generation, and, and Roku is, has always been our favorite. So I would think something along the lines of queuing you up content that you're more interested in. I, I do think that we're close to more immersive entertainment. Um, this past year, the Oculus, uh, the new Oculus Quest came out, and that was really the VR product that was a true consumer product, right? It was under $400. Um, it's completely wireless. You don't need a PC. You don't need a mobile phone. It has good content that goes with it. You know, you can get trained in how to use a lightsaber by Darth Vader. Uh, it, it is ready to actually be a true entertainment experience. You're not gonna, it's not gonna replace your TV, right? It's a different kind of experience. But it is a really interesting and immersive one in a way, and if this was the first consumer product for VR, I think it'd be a much better conversation, much different conversation than what we've had the last few years where there's been a lot of disappointments in where VR's at. Have you VR's seen at. much VR out here? Because I feel like there, a couple of years ago, it seemed like there was a lot more. A lot, now agreed. Is it getting quieter but better, or what's happening? Exactly. Oh, okay. That's my thought. Well, that's good. That's my yeah. thought. Yeah. Uh, I want it to be VR as well. I think if I think about what's, what's maybe a little bit more pragmatic in, like, in the immediate future, I think if we go back to TVs for a second, instead of getting bigger and bigger, I think they're actually going to be becoming more discreet um, because we've, they have become so big at this point that sometimes they just look comical on the wall, you know, and the, you have that black mirror effect and they have, they all come with the same kind of glossy black bezel. They all kind of look the same. And I've been seeing more companies trying to branch out and make a TV that looks better even when it's off. Samsung has done a good job at that. Uh, they had a, a TV called the Serif that has a, a very interesting bezel that comes in, in different colors and it's kind of like has a sculpted look. It's so beautiful. And, and the, they have the art frame one as well, which I actually know somebody who bought one of those from last year, which is very rare that I see something at CES and one of my t friends actually owns it in the immediate future. Um, so I think that people are kind of, as the screens get bigger and bigger and cheaper and cheaper and more accessible, uh, people are realizing like, I don't know, you know, know if I want that 85 inch giant black mirror on my wall um, what else can it look like? And so I'm seeing more companies playing with the idea of that. And so I, I think that's the, the immediate, uh, immediate future of home entertainment continues to be bigger screens, but hopefully better looking. Well, Sa Samsung's, at, at they, they had their first look event a couple nights ago and it's just TVs. And their tagline there was screens everywhere. But it was almost like an imperative. Screens everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and, and to add one thing to that too, in, in sort of it evolving, they also at that event unveiled their uh, sort of TV for the uh, YouTube generation or TikTok generation because 40% of all video is now shot vertical. So it, it automatically goes wow, switches between vertical and horizontal. But it's Moving parts break first, so I feel like you're asking for a TV that's going to break. And it's also, it's on an angle, and so yeah. the, the viewing angle is going to be pushed to a bad point no matter which direction you're... It, I, what is that product ever going to come to market and are people going to buy it? Yeah, I mean, it's already in market in Korea and it's totally aimed at like Gen Z millennials. Mm -hmm. um, and it's aimed, I think, for like smaller living spaces too. Yeah. If you just get the 292 inch the wall, you don't need to worry about vertical video. It's just still the size of your entire wall. Just fill in the, have some very large black bars on the side. Oh, I did want to add too on the topic of, um, you know, things being discrete. That, I think that extends beyond just televisions. Um, and a, a display that I saw that really made me think about that. Uh, have you heard of the Japanese company Mui? They had like, it looks like a, a 
wood plank that goes on the wall. Um, and it basically lights up from behind with these really subtle LEDs. It is touch capable. Um, and they're selling it kind of as a smart home interface this year. And uh, it, it looks a little bit, when you see it in the, at CES, when everything kind of dazzles, you see a block of wood. It's a little bit ridiculous at the booth. But I think it's, at some point, that's actually what people are looking for, is something that looks more discreet in their home. Not everybody wants a, a, like a smart home actual screen embedded in their wall. To have it in this piece of wood that lights up when you wave over it, and then you just set the temperature with little arrows is actually beautiful. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think it's nice that technology has become small enough that it can fit into natural objects or things that would look like they're, you wouldn't expect them to be embedded with tech. Or if you want to go to the extreme other end and have like the razor glowing rainbow light up keyboards, and if that's your aesthetic, great, you can have that as well. But each of them can be imbued with technology that's going to be, it's going to speak to your aesthetic uh, and it's also going to be genuinely useful. So I know this week at CES, you spend so much of your time obviously seeing everything there is to see, but creating so much content. I know you're also reading you know, everything from your colleagues, you know, what's the hot thing. What have you been reading about that you have not had a chance to experience yet? I didn't see the huggable robot, and I was so sad about that when I read about it the next day. Did you check that out? I saw it, but I did not get a chance to hug it. So I guess I have not had the full experience. So there was the huggable robot, and then I also heard, I, I can't verify this, but uh, this isn't being broadcast or recorded, right? <laughs> um, that Samsung was also designing TVs for single people. Yeah, they were curved TVs, and it just feel like, it was, it was very sad going back to my hotel, thinking like, where are we headed with TVs for single people and robots that need hugging, and it's, I didn't see Impossible Pork. Um, and the, the CEO there said uh, he pointed to a little foldable uh, Impossible Pork um, uh, wrap and said, this, device, this is one of the handheld devices that does not track you or sell your data. Beautiful. <laughs> um, I also want to taste test Impossible Pork. My colleague got to, but I didn't get to. Um, of the things that I want to check out that I didn't get a chance to get a closer look at, though, uh, Samsung Neon? I mean, the booth right now is just, it's, it's a bunch of TVs with, with talking people on it. But I have heard that there are actual demos of it behind closed doors. That is what I would most like to experience. So obviously CES in the past you know, decade or so has gone so far past the traditional technology companies. What would you like to see next? What category would you like to see represented here at CES? Let's start with you. Uh, yeah, I'll say I, I would love to see more of the um, kind of tech doing good, uh, impact on society, companies that are doing things. And some of that ranges into B2B, but there's a lot of consumer companies here that really, I think, are trying to do things that have an impact and have an impact uh, on a large number of people, um, delivering products that are um, approachable to a lot of people that have an impact on people's lives, have positive impact, that aren't about you staring at a screen all day or being you know, tied to technology. But the technology, again, as one of the themes we've talked about is it um, disappearing a little bit into the background uh, and being useful to you. Um, and I think the other thing, and we've seen some of this, is looking at the ways that, that government and society can set some barriers around technology, right? We, we need a little bit of that, not too much. Too much is, is not good, but 
we're certainly at a, at a stage where we need some more of that. And having those conversations and those, be, those forums be a part of CES, I think would be a great thing. How about you, Dave? Um, data privacy, personal data privacy. That is something that there is so much data that's being collected in every, which we all know, but every feature that gets rolled out in all these press conferences I was sitting in there that are going to make the product, you know, 10% better at this, 10% better at that. They're all leveraging our personal data and maybe they'll give like a, a, a little assurance saying like, you can turn off that feature if you need to, but it's, I would, I would, wouldn't mind seeing some people like walking around the halls, like shouting about data private, you know, let some crazy people in and just let them roam the halls. You could do, you have that authority, right, Pam? <laughs> to, uh, just to remind people that there's a, there's a very serious trade-off here for convenience and convenience is great. And if you are willing to give up that data, if you're aware of what you're giving up, that's fine. That's just, that's a cost. Money is a cost and personal information is a cost as well, but to be aware of what's being collected. Nick? Yeah, in terms of a, a category that I would like to see better represented, I'm actually going to go with food. Um, and I think Impossible was a really good start. I mean, we've had Impossible back two years in a row now. I think it's, it's a great product. Um, again, I look forward to tasting it. I, I can't vouch for it yet, but I, I hear very good things. Um, and and I, I liked what Jason was saying about tech to solve problems, tech for good. And I think that food is a really good vehicle for that. A lot of problems in the world right now somehow stem from food. And Impossible is a good solution for the sort of emissions related, environmental concerns related to food. But there are other problems related to food as well that I think tech could help solve. I mean, obesity is one of the number one uh, preventable causes of death in the United States. Um, and what's to say we can't engineer our way out of that problem with some better engineered foods? Uh, not necessarily fake meat, but some foods that taste really good that are also really good for you. Um, we haven't had that at CES yet, and I'd like to see more sort of food tech in the future that isn't just a 3D r robot that you know makes something out of frozen yogurt or, or whatever. Uh, that stuff is cute, but I think there's actually a lot of problem-solving potential with food specifically, and I love that Impossible is kind of getting that ball, ball rolling uh, this year and last. So we just have time for one more question. So my question to you is, based on what you've seen so far, what's the one word that you would use to describe CS 2020? Don't everyone jump up now. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first on this one, because um, it's something I've, not, I've been thinking about, which is, um, I'm going to say optimistic. And, and I say that because I think in 2019, the atmosphere around technology, in large part due to the, the privacy issues that you were talking about earlier, really shifted. And I mean, not just in the industry, but among friends, family, conversations I have around campfires, view technology often as a villain now. Uh, it's a very pronounced change, and it's very refreshing to come to CES, where technology is still kind of the hero, is still viewed as a way to solve problems, uh, a, a solution to things. and. I've noticed that more this show than at other shows, and I don't know if that's because people are more optimistic at the CES or the, the atmosphere outside is just so much darker, um, but I very much appreciate sort of that um, entrepreneurial zeal and like optimism for technology that I find at CES. Uh, I'll say experimental. Um, you know, CES used to be a place where companies uh, showed off products they were bringing to market you know, and, and buyers came and decided, oh yeah, we want one of those. We need to get that in our store and that, and, you know, and, and 
more and more, it's a place where companies are showing off concepts and seeing what people get interested in. And then they decide, will we actually bring that to market? And so that makes our job a little more interesting because our job has to be a little bit more analytical, a little bit more consumer advocacy, you know, thinking through these products. Some look great uh, in a demo, but they don't always uh, pan out. There's problems with them. It might be a data privacy problem. It might be um, a, a usability problem or a problem with the fact that there are too many other products like it that do similar things. So it, it, the onus becomes on us to, to really advocate for the consumer and see, okay, is this being done in a way, at a price, at a, um, uh, you know, solving a solution that really is going to matter and, and have an impact? Um, I would say connected, which is, I mean, that's not a new theme. We've been hearing that probably for 10 or 15 years maybe, but I love the fact that if you are coming out with a smart home product, you absolutely have to work with all the major ecosystems. If you are coming out with a TV, you have to work with every entertainment platform. You're no longer encouraged. In fact, the market actively discourages you from trying to build a, a, a top-to-bottom ecosystem where you own the device and you own the software and everything. You are forced to play nice with each other to a certain extent, and it's, ultimately that's a win for the consumer. Well, Dave, Jason, Nick, thank you guys so much for, for coming in and talking to us today about all of your thoughts on CES 2020. Big thank you to Deloitte for sponsoring this podcast today. Um, and make sure to download more uh, CES Tech Talk podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. All right, coming up next time on CES Tech Talk, we are again on the show floor here at CES 2024, a media roundtable conversation, new slate of journalists, and a new topic. We are tackling digital health. That's coming up next time on CES Tech Talk. Now, a reminder to you, subscribe to the CES Tech Talk podcast. That way you won't miss any episodes and you can go back and catch up on some of the ones we've already aired so you're ready for CES 2020 as it continues. Also, good bet to download the CES 2020 app. That way you can track the panels, the exhibitors, the events that are taking place here this week. As always, none of this is possible without our stars, executive producer Tina Anthony, and our senior studio engineer, John Lindsay. You all are the best in the business. I'm Tyler Suters. Let's talk tech again soon. This edition of CES Tech Talk has been brought to you by Deloitte. Hey, Tech Talk listeners, it's Hanish Patel from Deloitte's User-Friendly, the podcast where my guests and I explore the latest trends in tech, media, and telecom and turn them into something a little more user-friendly. We just launched season four and have some exciting topics coming up from connectivity trends to sports through to digital reality. If you enjoy CES Tech Talks, I highly recommend checking us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Till then, happy listening.